Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. You know, um, last Sunday, we looked at the parable of the lost son, and we spent some of our time unpacking how it portrayed the father in the story. Well, actually, we spent the whole time doing that. From our perspective... He seems to be the perfect father, right? He is so gentle with both of his sons. He's patient and kind, quick to forgive. You know, he is awesome. And because of the the love of his father, the younger son is restored to the family. We don't know what happens to the older son, but that's actually the point. We're not supposed to know exactly what happens to the older son. Jesus leaves it vague and open-ended on purpose to get us to think about it. But what I want to do for a few minutes in this week's podcast is actually reflect a little bit on the role of the younger son in his restoration to the family. You know, we have this scene of the father running to the son while he's still a long way off, right? He's, he's way down the road or on the laneway, and his father sees him coming, and the text says that the father was filled with compassion for him. That's incredible, if you think about it. What is compassion? It's it's concern, it's sympathy for the suffering or misfortune of others. The father sees his good-for-nothing son who has caused him and his family so much grief, and then rather than feel tremendous anger toward him, he feels compassion. And he runs to him and he throws his arms around him. Literally, the text says, he falls on his neck. I love that way of putting it. And then he showers him with kisses. Now, in doing that, the father made it easy for his son to repent, didn't he? I mean, you can picture it. Here's this son walking home. He's going over his speech. He's rehearsing the whole thing in his head. Dad, look, I know I wronged you. I know I sinned against heaven and against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. I accept that. And then suddenly, you know, he sees the screen door bang open and his father explodes from his house and he bounds down the steps and runs and pounces on his son with love and laughter and tears and kisses. Don't you think that might have made the speech a little easier? (laughs) Of course, right? We've talked about this before. It's not like our repentance gets God to love us. God's love is what enables our repentance. God's pouncing, aggressive love enables us to repent and own up to the things that we've done wrong. But, and and here's the thing I want to drill down with uh, you a little bit more on, is what is the thing that initiates the Father's love into radical action in the Son's life? What is it that makes the father spring into action to restore the son? It's repentance. What am I trying to say? Well, think about this. The son, when he left his father, did his father still love him? Yes, of course he did. But the son has no experience of that love because he's gone, right? He's left the family. He's off the farm. He's out of town. And then while he's in that far country and he's blowing his inheritance on wine, women, and song, does his father love him then? 
Yes. But again, the son doesn't experience that love in his life while he's out living the reckless life, the wild life that the text describes. He may know intellectually that his father loves him, but he doesn't experience that love. And then when he hits rock bottom, you know, he wakes up in a pigsty, his head pounding with a massive hangover, and he really can't sink any lower. Does the father still love him then? Well, yeah. Yeah, he loves him through all of it. But the father's love is not a dynamic, transformative power in the son's life so long as the son continues to live in sin. Not until the son repents does change in his life, empowered by the father's inexhaustible love for him, not until then does it actually start to happen. See, what Jesus is showing us here is that if the father represents God, which he does in this story, then we're being told that if you want the love of God and the power of God to explode in your life, the fuse, so to speak, that detonates the love of God to explode into your life is repentance. And this, whoo, man, this is an incredibly important principle, guys. See, what I have noticed in my own life at times, and I've noted this, noticed this in others as well, um, sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, people will say that they want to know God and they want to have an experience of God's love, and they want to feel his presence in their lives, but frankly, they don't really want to repent in order to do that or have that. They're living a certain lifestyle that's incompatible with the word of God, and then they feel distant from God, and they're not exactly sure why that is. And I might even say to them, well, have you ever considered that the distance you feel is because you're not repenting, because you're still choosing to live in rebellion, you know, you're still living like you're your own master. You're like the younger son, off in a far-off country, away from the Father's love. His love for you has not been diminished in the least, but your experience of it has, and you need to repent. And, and sometimes people will kind of look at me like, you know, uh, the way a cow looks at a new gate, you know, kind of, what's that? But sometimes people will, will have a dawning of uh, kind of understanding come upon them, and they realize, yeah, wait a minute, if, if I'm not going to repent, how in the world am I going to know the Father's love? Well, what does that look like? Um, our passage helps us understand what it looks like, right? Because in, in the passage, it says that the, the son, he comes to his senses and he realizes that, you know, in his father's house, even the hired hands have enough to eat and there he is starving to death. And he says, well, I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against, and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Now, notice a few things about what he does there. You know, first of all, that phrase, he came to his senses, it's a Hebrew idiom for repentance. It's, a, it's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Uh, he came to his senses. What in the world does that mean? Well, you know, if you're under a spell or if you're in a trance, you can't just make yourself come out of it. 
okay? It has to happen to you. And, and it often it works like this, right? The sins in your life, the flaws in your life, and the character shortcomings in your life, they create most of your problems for you and the people around you. They really do, you know. Um, most of our problems are sort of self-inflicted. But the thing is, is we're in denial about that, which is why we keep going on in it. <laughs> um, but now what happens is, is your wrongdoing, it sets up strains in kind of the fabric of reality because you're going against the grain of how God made the world to be. So, for example, you know, God created the world in such a way that he says, listen, live unselfishly. And if you live selfishly, then you set up these, these strains in the fabric of reality. You're moving against the fabric of the way God made you and other people. And, when you do the, and, and so when you do things wrong, it sets up this strain in the fabric of reality. And eventually, that leads to breakdown. And when the breakdown comes, man, okay, when the circumstances hit you, when the consequences start pushing back against you, when there's some kind of meltdown, then you suddenly say, wait a minute, what have I been doing? What's been wrong? How could have I thought that way? What's the matter with me? You know? And you come to the place where actually the pain of staying the same seems worse than the pain of changing. That's coming to your senses, and that's actually the first step of repentance. Now, notice the second thing he does, though, and this is no small thing, okay? Uh, when he got up, he went to his father. Once he came to his senses and he realized what a fool he had been, he did something about it, okay? He thought it through. What an idiot I've been. My father's servants are eating well and I'm starving to death. I thought life would be so much better here on my own. How wrong I was. And so he decides to go to his father. Not to the town, not to the farm, not to his homeland, to his father. He took action. And he took the right kind. He went to his father. See, his friends had abandoned him. He had run out of his own resources. And as long as you have anything in yourself that you think will meet your needs, you will avoid going directly to God. You will avoid going to the Father. And if you want to hold on to any little part of that sin that you're struggling with, you will again avoid going directly to your Father. You've got to act, friends. Like, God is standing on the front porch with his arms wide open, ready to receive you and shower you with his love. But you have to go. Okay, what's next? Notice the younger son uh, realizes something. He says, as he's rehearsing his confession, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So he's been thinking about what he did. He's been mulling over the damage he's done. And he's realized what it is. You know, he sinned against God and he sinned against his father. Not in a, you know, I broke the rules kind of way. But in a, I broke your heart kind of way. True repentance 
is always about the breaking of relationship. Notice that he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's acknowledging that he's broken the relationship, that he's broken trust, he's, he's broken faithfulness and fidelity. And he takes full responsibility for it. You know, sometimes I, I wonder, like, what was it like to live with that older brother? Given what the story describes him to be like, what's it like to live with a goody-two-shoes all your life who never does anything wrong and is so self-righteous all the time, it just makes you sick? You know, maybe the younger brother couldn't take it anymore. His judginess, you know, his holier-than-thou attitude. And maybe the younger brother was just so sick of it that he felt he had to get out of there. But here's the thing, he doesn't say that. He doesn't try to blame shift or, he, or blame share. He owns his stuff and he knows he has no rights before his father at all. And friend, all my friends, it's that, that attitude, that realization, that posture of repentance that unleashes the restorative action of the father. That's what leads to the robe and the ring and the sandals and the feast. None of it does the son deserve. None of it has the son earned. It's all of grace, but he had to repent in order to receive it. The same is true for all of us. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is... Don't be afraid to repent. If I can put it this way, God has made it astoundingly easy to do so. In most of our relationships, we kind of make it hard for people to repent to us. And in fact, we make it hard on ourselves to repent as well because we, we turn repentance into a work in and of itself. We kind of think, well, if I'm going to repent, then I have to admit that I'm not as good as I thought I was, and therefore I'm going to grovel and own my guilt and feel really, really bad and tear myself up over it, proving that I'm actually a good person. <laughs> That's how we do it to ourselves. And when we look at others, we make it hard for them to repent because we see it as a work. But God's not like us. He makes it so astoundingly easy to repent. He knows that we're sinners who are going to fail. He knows that we need to repent in order to be reconciled to him who is the source of our power, who is the source of our joy, who is the source of our, of our glory and satisfaction. Look at the son in the story, okay? He doesn't even get the whole thing out of his mouth before the father is restoring his relationship with him. You know, our Heavenly Father, He is more quick to forgive than we are to repent. He stands ready always to flood us with His love and grace, to take away the guilt, the shame, the obstacles to experiencing His inexhaustible love for us. Don't be afraid to repent, my friends. All it's doing when you repent is it's reconnecting you with your Savior, the very thing that you want. 
But you got to come to your senses. You got to want Jesus more than you want your sin. But the moment you do, it will ignite a flood of God's love and grace and mercy in your life. Well, that's my encouragement to you for this week. It has been another episode of the Clearer Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink from Grace Valley Church. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.